Let's go ahead and pray. Holy Father, uh, thank you for this evening. Uh, thank you for uh, your faithful provision and that you cause uh, the sunlight to shine upon the just and the unjust and uh, the, the rain uh, to fall on all peoples uh, according to your covenant faithfulness uh, and the promises that you made to uh, Noah and to all of his sons after him. Uh, so we thank you for these things. Uh, we thank you above all for your covenants uh, with uh, the patriarchs and uh, with your people uh, and the, the new covenant in your son. Uh, we're grateful for uh, the salvation that uh, we have in him his death, burial, and resurrection, and uh, pray that we grow in the knowledge of you and of your son, uh, your uh, work in uh, creation, that our hope and trust and confidence would rest in you and that we would recognize and acknowledge you and your uh, person and all your work uh, and to uh, confess that you're the one uh, true uh, living God. And so we Thank you for these things, and we pray that your spirit would be with us and ask these things in the name of your son. Amen. So back in Genesis, I have some, I guess you can cast these down. We'll look at these a little bit, uh, and we'll look at them more, especially as we progress through the, the creation account. And so uh, last time uh, we were finishing up uh, looking at uh, just the, the very first two uh, verses that serve kind of an introduction to the whole uh, creation account. And just looking at those quickly, uh, reads from the, the ESV, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, or barren and empty, desolate and empty void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over of the face of the waters. So we've covered this pretty thoroughly, but I'll just go ahead and ask, uh, because one of the best ways to learn something and see if you know it is if you're able to, to recall it. So suppose I'll just ask, what's the function of these first two verses? I mean, maybe we can look at the first verse first start there uh, in the, the second one. Uh, how do they fit in? You know, in the beginning, God created uh, the heavens and the earth. How does that fit in uh, with the creation account as a whole in the seven days that follow? Well, it's in the beginning of all that there ever was, beginning of history and time, and it's setting up who was there <clears throat> and why, I guess, they were there and what they were doing. That'd be creating all things that's laid out. Yeah, yeah. So you, you have you have a context, and here, you know, context in time. It's established uh, right here, right, right in the, the situation in the beginning. Uh, like Ryan said, it's at, at the beginning of everything. I mean, everything except for God himself. So if you just read through, you know, you have this setting uh, established for understanding of uh, the creation uh God, and in this chapter, he's referred to as 
uh, Elohim. But then when you get into the, the next part of the first uh, Toledo, uh, the, the generations account, uh, these are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day uh, that the Lord God, Yahweh God, made the earth and the heavens for Yahweh Elohim. Uh, Yahweh Elohim. <clears throat> and so there you have kind of his personal, even covenantal name that he revealed to his people. And you see that he's uh, even specially and uniquely reveals it uh, in the fulfillment of his promises to the patriarchs. Now they had heard the name, but then uh, at the uh, the burning bush with Moses, you know, uh, who should I tell them sent me? Uh, and you have kind of a play off of that. Ehye, Asher, Ehye. Um, I am uh, that I am. Could be, I will be who I will be. I am who I am. Uh, which is probably the best way, but that's even kind of built on uh, the one who is and was and is to come. Uh, and so it's the God who, who is present uh, with his people. Uh, but then when they're to go to, uh, to Pharaoh, uh, then God uh, tells, uh, tells Moses that you have this uh, section that, that we've looked at, but where he, he says that uh, to the patriarchs, you know, he revealed himself or they knew him as uh, El Shaddai, God Almighty. Uh, but my name, uh, Yahweh, I did not reveal to them. You're kind of like, well, if you read through those narratives, not only does it use his name, but the patriarchs sometimes use that name. <laughs> so you're kind of scratching your head a little bit and uh, skeptical scholars, oh, contradiction, you know, here we have uh, evidence of different sources and <laughs> such like that. But then he says, and goes on to talk about, I will do this. I will do that. Uh, I, I, will, uh, I will bring the people out. You know, I will bring great judgments upon uh Pharaoh, uh, I, I will redeem the people. I will bring them out of Egypt. I will bring them to, to myself. I will bring them to the land that I swore to their fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Uh, and then it talks about, I, I will, maybe it ends it like with, I will be their God and they will be my people. And then you will know that I am Yahweh. And so they don't even know him as Yahweh. His, his name is revealed in his works of salvation and judgment, redeeming his people. Uh, so they come to know, uh, they come to know God uh, through his salvation, through his judgment. And so, yeah, they can sound it out, but the, the, the significance, the meaning, his identity is bound up with uh, his person and work. Uh, and so the unfolding of those things, and you see that unfolding even to, uh, to the mountain at Sinai, uh, where Moses asks, asks for uh, God to, to reveal himself to him. He says that, you know, you, uh, you've said that you know me by name. And he passes by, he cannot see his face and live. And yet Moses is called the, the one who knew God face to face. <laughs> so he play, plays off of, uh, off of this. And so the, the, the apparent contradictions are rhetorical, like in, in that sense. You have different, different senses of that. He had this intimate knowledge, knowing God face to face. And yet, ultimately, no man can look at my face and live. You know, no, no sinner. Um, but then at the end of Revelation, uh, people know God 
face to face, you know, uh, in the, the fullness of his revelation. But uh, one second. And so then, as God passes by, he doesn't just show him uh, his glory or like, you know, this uh, majestic, magnificent display of light, or, you know, a theophany revealing himself to Moses. Uh, but that's where he, he talks about uh, the Lord, Lord, you know, Yahweh, Yahweh, uh, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. And, uh, and so he speaks, revealing himself uh, through, through his speech to Moses. And so it's something that's drawn throughout. But here in the creation account, it starts with uh, probably looking at him as the universal creator, as uh, Elohim, uh, as, as God, uh, the, the, uh, the one true living uh, creator uh, from whom all things come in the beginning God he's the only one that's not created that the, the creation doesn't emerge from him and that it's part of him uh, but he, he creates uh, he commands he brings uh, brings it about were you going to say something yeah uh, we don't maybe have to get off on the topic but I think in Revelation as well it talks about and Christ comes, he has a name that's written that no one knows but himself. Or yeah, Do you yeah. think that's kind of tying into that same thing? Because you see him later and he's got names written on him and called mm-hmm. certain mm-hmm. things. And it's like, is that what they're referring to? They kind of say it there. But. It's kind of like in Luke. Uh, and that's bound up with both the, uh, the unknowability of God and the knowability of God. You know, he, he condescends oh. to reveal himself to his creatures uh, but you know, in Himself, uh, you know, God has to He has to condescend to reveal uh, Himself, and uh, we couldn't know God uh, in in any sense or at any level unless uh, He uh, condescends. He uh, takes the the prerogative to uh, to reveal uh, Himself. Uh, but thinking with uh, so you're talking about uh, Christ's name. It's kind of like in Luke, he prays to the Father with the sending out, he sends out the 12 and the 70, uh, they end up coming back and saying uh, that even the demons are subject to them. Uh, but then he cautions them, uh, you know, do not rejoice in this, but rejoice that your names are uh, written uh, in heaven. Uh, but then he prays t- to the Father uh, that he has hidden these things from the wise and reveal revealed them to to babes or like infants or whatever, uh, and hidden them from the wise. And then he says that no one uh, knows the Father except the Son, and no one knows the Son except the Father. Uh, and uh, and talking about like about and to whomever he chooses to reveal him. So only the Son knows the Father personally, intimately from. All eternity, uh, one who has existed as God and with God for uh, for all eternity, uh, the eternal Son of the Father uh, and the, the Spirit of the Father and the Son. Uh, and so, it's the Son's prerogative; He knows the Father. It's His prerogative to reveal uh, the Father to uh, to make Him known, uh, to uh, give spiritual sight uh, to the to the spiritually blind. Uh, and hearing to the, to the spiritually deaf uh, who won't, uh, will not receive and believe God's uh, word. And so you have this concealing and revealing bound up even with the, uh, the names 
and he promises that he'll give a name also in Revelation uh, to believers, uh, disciples uh, who like hold fast to his testimony and he'll give them a new name. We even say that no one knows, you know, um, but that he, he gives them a personal uh, name. And we'll, we'll see some of that with even naming of even inanimate objects, you know, God exercising his authority, his prerogative to, uh, to name uh, his, his creation, kind of like, a, you know, a children do not name their parents, uh, their parents name them. <laughs> so you have to get, get the order right. And so uh, uh, the first man, uh, the, uh, the Adam, uh, he doesn't name God, God names him. Although sometimes you do have, uh, you do have where, um, I think you, you have like a, is it oh, with uh, Hagar, uh, Hagar, who is the, uh, the maid servant of uh, Sarah, uh, whom she gave to Abraham as a concubine to have a child, because uh, she blamed God for not giving them a child. Um, and so that says uh, Abraham took Hagar. Uh, that goes back to the taking from the tree. And he listened, he listened to the voice of his wife. He listened to Sarah. Um, wasn't, wasn't God's plan. Uh, and so it's actually a distortion of God's plan, uh, his original design of marriage and his promises. But Hagar uh, even uh, speaks of the, uh, the, the angel of Yahweh, uh, call, calls him uh, El Roi, God, God of seeing. He's, he's God of seeing. Uh, and she talks about like the one who sees me. And so it's kind of char- characterizing him and expressing her faith, but uh, not authority, <laughs> not authority there. So, But we'll, we'll see some more of that. So with the, the very first uh, verse, in the beginning, establishing the setting, uh, God created uh, the heavens and the earth, introducing God, who's the central agent uh, in, in all of scripture and participant, uh, and then these things, these entities, the heavens uh, and the earth. Uh, and then with uh, the, in verse 2, what function does uh, this serve? Uh, we've talked about, you know, in, in narrative, a story, you know, if you're telling story of events that took place, uh, historical narrative, what is it that moves that story forward? You know, in space and time. Or what, what question, you know, can you ask? Because, I mean, in, in narratives, I mean, stuff happens, right? So, what, what happened? Oh, what, what happened? Because that's what moves the events forward. You know, if an event takes place, something happens. Uh, throughout uh, throughout the narrative, and so here in verse two, we don't see what what happened. The earth was without form and void. That's just the state of things. It's just describing uh, either characteristics or the condition of the earth. But there's not there's not an event takes place, kind of like we spoke about. I don't know if it's in the, the Darby Bible or something. And the earth became without form and void. And they try and fit it like a judgment in it. And so now it's a recreation context. And the, uh, no, it's creation. 
uh, and all the biblical authors, you know, it's creation. Uh, but uh, the earth was without form and void. And darkness was over the face of the deep. That's just how it was. It's kind of, it's static. There's no change involved. Uh, and so the earth doesn't become without form and void. It just is. It was without form and void. It just describes its condition. Uh, and darkness was over the face of the deep. Is is present. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now there, you don't have an event that moves forward because it doesn't say, and the Spirit hovered over the face of the waters. So you have a whole event, but this is something that was uh, activity that was ongoing uh, at, at the time. And so looking here now, with the earth introduced, you know, what function in the narrative a lot of times um, you know, does, does this serve to understand the events that follow? Just having the background. Yeah. Of where things are at. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's just, it's just background uh, information. So you understand the context, the setting, and the unresolved issues. The earth is without form and void. You know, barren and empty, desolate and void. It's not really, not really inhabitable, you know, an inhabitable state uh, there. It's not the, the complete creation. I mean, even under the curse, we look around and not everything is desolate and void and empty. Uh, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And so everything is implicitly covered with the, uh, the waters uh, of, of the deep. And so the, the earth is basically in a flooded, watery state. Uh, we're even looking at some of this terminology bound up with like wilderness places, wilderness areas that are unproductive, uh, barren, empty, no life, no inhabitants. Uh, that's what tohu and bohu, uh, a lot of times, or tohu and bohu are uh, used to describe kind of like just wilderness uh, areas, kind of like a whether like a dry, dusty desert or uh, just place that doesn't have growth, um, rocky terrain, uh, inhabitants. Uh, darkness uh, over the face of the deep. So you have the waters, you have the darkness, you don't have light. <clears throat> the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And so uh, God is uh, present uh, by uh, his personal, powerful uh, spirit uh, who is sovereign over these things. He's distinct from them. He's not the creation. Creation doesn't just like, it's not part of him. Uh, but uh, he is sovereign over it. And we'll see, we've talked about at the end of the tabernacle, at the end of Exodus, you have kind of this inclusio where the tabernacle is structured in many ways around creation. According to the six, uh, the six days, uh, then it, like its completion, you have uh, seventh day, Sabbath. Uh, but we'll see that where light comes into the darkness at the beginning, instead at the end of the tabernacle, uh, at the very end of Exodus, God's glory, his presence uh, is manifested in the tabernacle, often bound up with light, you know, Moses' face like uh, even shining before the people. Uh, and so it's kind of bookends to Genesis and Exodus 
I know uh, Sailhammer has pointed that out, for instance, but where you, you have God's presence in creation here, and then with the tabernacle, just kind of a microcosm, God dwelling with his people, uh, and he's going to dwell with them in the land, uh, which will have a lot of these kind of new Eden themes. Um, you have God's spirit, God's presence, his glory manifested in the Holy of Holies, uh, in the, the tabernacle, in the darkness. So, yep. I was going to say, you see the same thing in Revelation at the end, <clears throat> that God is the center and he is the light shining throughout mm-hmm. all the seats mm-hmm. at the same time. Yeah, that, that'll be important for uh, as we look at, at day one. So all of this, it's just to, it's to set up the context in time uh, to introduce God. Uh, you see uh, his work, this general statement, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, if it stopped there, you'd say God created the heavens and the earth. But as you read on to the second verse, you see, oh, the earth is incomplete. It's not finished yet. Uh, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And so now, with this background, this, this state of affairs, this unresolved, unfinished creation, now in, in the remaining uh, days, uh, and this is bound up with day one, it's the very start of it, we'll see that with the darkness to the light, uh, but plays a special introductory role. Now, uh, with the, the following seven days, and particularly the six, it'll bring resolu- begin to bring resolution to this, uh, to the incomplete creation, to bring it towards its uh, completion, towards its culmination with the creation of man on day six, and God's uh, giving him dominion over the earth and his blessing and provision to humanity and all of his creatures, which only then... Uh, you have the, the seventh day. And so you can kind of look at it as a whole where you have these seven days, but then the six days, you know, are grouped together. That's where the, all the creative work is going to take place following this background. Uh, and then uh, we'll see also that uh, with days uh, one through three, uh, you see a lot of times people put it in terms of forming and filling but this, uh, this desolate, barren condition of, of the earth, uh, God's going to begin to bring resolution to that. Uh, into the darkness, he's going to call light. Uh, he's going to separate the waters. Uh, on day two, uh, waters below and waters above. Uh, and he'll call waters above uh, the, the heavens or sky. So you, you have the creation of light on day one. Uh, on day two, uh, you have the, the creation of the heavens. And then on day three, uh, you have uh, a couple distinct acts. That's broken up uh, into kind of two parts uh, where God gives, uh, speaks uh, commanding twice. Uh, but there, uh, he's going to uh, create uh, the, uh, the earth or the land in the sense of the dry land uh, and gather the waters together, the seas, and then bring forth vegetation upon the earth. And so now it's no, it'll no longer be a desolate, uninhabitable uh, creation uh, and earth, uh, but now uh, it's going to be filled with light. Uh, it's going to be ordered. Uh, there'll be the heavens. Uh, there'll be land and, and sea. Uh, all of these, all of these uh, 
habitable or inhabitable uh, habitable uh, environments uh, uh, for his creatures to, to live in, and the land is no longer barren and unproductive. Uh, but you have all, all of this uh, vegetation, all these fruit-bearing plants and trees for his creatures. And so then on days four through six, he's going to start filling uh, the heavens, uh, the, uh, the, the luminaries above, which are connected closely with day one. A lot, a lot of times uh, scholars will talk about days uh, one through, we'll either put them kind of parallel or maybe you see progression more if it's, uh, think of the way that you guys are looking. Uh, if you have... Uh, days one, two, and three. There's strong correspondence between days then one and four, two and five, and three and six. And yet, it's still not quite that simple because yes, the luminaries are in the heavens; uh, they're to separate and distinguish light from darkness and day and night. Uh, and uh, God gives them uh, dominion, you know, their place uh, over the the day and the night, uh, the sun and the moon, uh, the the stars. Uh, but it's also bound up with the, the, the heavens, you know, the, the sky on, on day two. Uh, and then you have the, uh, the fish and the birds <clears throat> on day five. We have the waters below and the waters above, you know, the heavens above. Birds fly through the heavens above. Fish are in the waters below. And yet on day three, they were gathered together into seas where the fish are. Uh, and uh, the birds also uh, land on uh, the, even talks about them flying over the earth you know, the dry land and such, uh, or also the food, the provision, you know, is going to be. So there, there is a strong connection between days one and four and two and five and three and six. Three and six, you have the land animals and man created on the land. Uh, and given the, the vegetation that was created on day three, but man's given dominion over the fish uh, and the birds and all of the land animals. So, you know, whether it's the aerial creatures, flying creatures, uh, or the aquatic creatures, uh, or uh, the, the land animals, man's given dominion over all of them, and the vegetation's given to other birds and beasts and, uh, and to man. So, and so a lot of scholars and commentators are right with some of these connections, but, you know, it's, it's part of, you also still have to see the unfolding that day one has to come before day two, uh, day two before day three, and so on. You know, so there's there's also kind of a <coughs> linear progression through them too. Just even in time in God's uh, works, and we've talked about that's part of narrative too, uh, where you have an agent, uh, is it what talks about temporal succession or, or whatever with the the unfolding of the the events. Contingent temporal succession, that was like a technical word. Uh, but what comes before uh, or what follows depends on what comes before. So we have to start with creation before we ever get to uh, the man, the woman, in the garden, the temptation, Noah, all of humanity being wiped out because of filling the earth with violence, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. So there's, there's an unfolding of these things. So uh, let's go ahead and let's read through uh, day four. Then we'll be focusing on day uh, one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. 
and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light, and God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness, God called the light day, and the darkness he called night, and there is evening, and there is morning, the first day. And God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse. And it was so. And God called the expanse heaven. And there is evening and there is morning the second day. And God said, Let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth. And the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind, on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed each according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great lights, but the greater light to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night, and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. And so then, uh, just going back, let's just backtrack. Um, we'll go from verse 1, then uh, right through day 1. So that's fresh in our minds. Uh, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, the earth was without forming void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And then here with day 1, or the, I mean, what comes before is part of day 1, uh, but now uh, we get to... Uh, bringing the, the creation towards its uh, completion. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day. And the darkness he called night. And there is evening, there is morning of the first day. Now, if you look at these charts, uh, we'll be following along a bit with this, especially as we get more uh, more into it. So we've covered the, the intro part of day, day one, setting up the, the context. But now, here with the creation of light uh, into uh, the darkness, so now that what we've seen of this barren, empty, dark, watery uh, creation 
uh, after this, it'll no longer just be dark. Now there's going to be light. Uh, now there's going to be uh, day and night, evening and morning, first day. It's the law, the, the succession of the days. You can't have a day two until you have light and darkness, day and night, evening and morning. So but you have a day. It seems like it wasn't, there wasn't a sun and a moon until the fourth day. Yeah. So is, is the light God? You know, just like the eternal heavens are lit by Jesus. So. Yeah, that, that's a very, very good question. That's exactly what we'll be looking at. It's definitely peculiar. You know, it stands, it stands out because we haven't experienced, there is you know, a day night. quite like that. Yeah. <laughs> there was a light before there was a sun. Right. And so, here you see how I've organized this on the, on the table. If you look at the, on the left-hand side, there are all these major events, components of the creation week, you know, that play a role. They describe these different situations. Uh, and so, here's the basic order of them. Uh, where you can, If you read through carefully, there's a certain repeated kind of default order uh, to them. But then with certain days, things will be just rearranged slightly, you know, for, for different reasons. And so, here as we go in, we open with verse 1, uh, and right away we see a command. And so, uh, and God said, let there be light. Called by report. And there was light. And so you see a God's sovereign command. And God said. And we're going to see this repeated at the beginning of each of the days. And sometimes in the middle of them. Like on day three. Uh, where you have both the, uh, the land and the seas. But then the vegetation. So it's broken up into two parts. And then on day six, you'll have the beasts. And humanity, God's creative works are broken up into two parts again on day six, which again shows day three and six have a strong connection. But there will also be blessing and the giving of the vegetation on day six. But the important thing is, with following this initial setting, uh, this unfinished work, uh, this block of clay that's on the potter's wheel, now as God brings it to resolution... Every single day will begin, and God said. You'll begin with God speaking uh, before all of them. And so uh, before uh, any, uh, any other events take place, uh, before uh, any uh, creative actions uh, or works or reports that it was so or evaluations that God saw that it was good or naming or separating, uh, all, all of these uh, actions uh, and events in, in uh, creation, I'll bring it forward, uh, it always starts with uh, God's word, uh, God's word of uh, command, uh, his sovereign uh, decree. Does that kind of tie into John 1, where you know, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God? I mean, it's, yeah. it's God commanding things into existence. Yeah, I, I think that's a very central part of the background now, you have to look at kind of at all of Scripture and, you know, do the biblical authors draw on this and, and uh, build on this, you know, throughout God's uh, commandments and uh, his work of creation. I mean, like Isaiah, he draws on creation, stuff like that. But, yeah, this is a central context uh, in, in background 
uh, in uh, the creation account. I mean, before you look anywhere else, what do you hear? I mean, John starts at in the beginning. Mm -hmm. But now in the beginning, not God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning was the Word. Mm -hmm. and the Word was with God. Uh, and the Word was God. This one was in the beginning with God. As God and with God for, for all of eternity before creation, all things uh, came to be through him. And apart from him, nothing has come to be that has come to be. That's every universally. And so you have to be a little careful because John, he, he's drawing on further revelation. You know, he, he's writing after the whole Tanakh has been written. And so there, there's been further revelation of God, of him as creator, uh, and all these things. I mean, in the Psalms and uh, throughout. And, and now uh, the, uh, the eternal son, the eternal word has become incarnate, enfleshed tabernacled uh, and dwelt uh, among them uh, in the midst and we, uh, we saw his glory you know John, uh, John says and so here in, in John he's not just he's not just expounding you know the, uh, the creation account and say oh why didn't you get this you know and God said you should have known that was Jesus <laughs> you know the, uh, the, the word no, he's drawing further revelation, but he's drawing on the creation account and in light of the incarnation, in the light of all that God has revealed about uh, himself, uh, his theophanies, and everything that sets the stage for this, uh, even sometimes the angel of Yahweh who you see is Yahweh. And you have to be a little careful because a prophet can be closely identified with God. His messengers can. But there are some cases, like we're looking in Judges, uh, no, this... This messenger, this envoy, uh, first refuses sacrifices from Samson's parents when they think he's he's just some just some heavenly messenger. So no, sacri sacrifice to Yahweh, sacrifice to God. And then he appears and receives the sacrifice, and then they knew it was Yahweh who had appeared to them. And so he's distinct from, he's sent by, and yet he is Yahweh. Uh, and so. <coughs> Of this context, and, and so John's drawing on this further revelation, now talking about creation and new creation in light of all, all that has been has been revealed. Uh, but yeah, it does set the stage with uh, with God's word, God speaking, God commanding, and then uh, bringing it about. I mean, it, it comes uh, it comes to pass, uh, and also you see His Spirit uh, present and active. Uh, and at work uh, here as well. So, um, yeah, absolutely. So here, all of the, all of the days, in, in God said, you know, God's decree uh, starts them all before anything else. And so, uh, He has absolute. Uh, I mean, it shows His absolute authority and power uh, over uh, over creation and uh, everything. I mean. Uh, the very existence of uh, the order of uh, the structure uh, all flows from uh, God's uh, decrees, from his uh, powerful uh, creative uh, word. And so all of the events that follow, uh, these are uh, supernatural uh, events, uh, God bringing th these things about. And so when you think in light of all these pagan accounts, and now there are certain ones that, will draw, draw on certain ideas like kind of his Egyptian theology 
developed over time. And there are a lot of different, <laughs> depending on which temple, like which location, um, which priest, like the, their major developments over time. They have certain ideas that'll be kind of similar, but ultimately, all is one. You know, and so uh, uh, the, the spirit, physical creation, <coughs> you know, it all emerges from Atum or, uh, you know, from kind of the one God that was in, in the inert state and the pre-existent uh, eternal primordial waters and he was birthed by this water goddess. And so uh, the their gods, you know, both the, the spiritual and physical emerge. Every, everything is one. You know, all, all is one. Uh, the, the creation and the gods are all bound up together. But here, God is distinct uh, from uh, from the creation. He is not the creation. Uh, the creation is not, it's not like a part of him or an appendage, you know, to him or something like that. Um, it is not God. Uh, the creation is not God. And so it's not pantheistic. It's not panentheistic. God is all. God is in all. Uh, but uh, you see God's sovereign command and his spirit present uh, bringing these things uh, about. And so we think in light of these old pagan accounts, you know, it sets it apart. It distinguishes it. God's e- God is the only one who is uh, eternal, who's existed for all eternity. He's distinct from the creation. So instead of oneism, you have twoism. Mm-hmm. Uh, God is, uh, Bob's talked about God having non-contingent being, just mean his being, his existence, he depends on nothing for his existence, for, for his being. Everything else is dependent upon uh, upon him. And so uh, whether uh, whether it's space, whether it's time, uh, whether it's, you know, the physical uh, creation, uh, whether it's history, uh, God creates uh, all of these things and he's sovereign over them and they uh, depend upon uh, upon him. And so then if you fast forward to our time, but you had that, I mean, even like with Greek thinkers and uh, such, some of the Epicureans, I think, and uh, various uh, philosophers uh, that helped to forms of like uh, atomism, not, not atomism, but atomism, <laughs> you know, uh, irreducible, you know, saw kind of everything in irreducible little balls mm-hmm. and whatever. That's where we kind of get our name, uh, the, the atom. Uh, was discovered, but we found even that has parts, you know, particles and stuff. But uh, there you have today, the assumption is everything has to be explained apart from God. Uh, Everything has to be explained purely in physical, mechanistic terms. And so uh, the universe, the cosmos is a closed system. It's one. It it explains itself. It's self-explanatory. And we can only look at the present state of affairs uh, and we have to uh, describe and explain the origin, the history, the development of the entire universe, the entire cosmos in terms of uh, the processes that we observe today and and gradual, purely apart from God. Uh, And so that's where we're going to see a fundamental difference, for instance, with light created here. And before before the light, before the, before the sun, moon, and stars, you have the earth, you have the waters of the deep, you have light without the sun, <laughs> sun, moon, and stars. 
Uh, we'll even see the, uh, the, the atmosphere, the, the sky, uh, the heavens above, separation of the waters, uh, and even the, the, uh, the dry land, the seas, and the vegetation. Plants and trees without the sun, moon, and the stars? I mean, it, you end up with some real problems there. And so that's where we were kind of talking about. There are some things where uh, you'd mentioned, like Galileo, I said he went too far. Uh, he abused it. He said, like, the Bible teaches what? Uh, not how to get to heaven, not how the heavens go or whatever. Well, he went too far with that. I mean, here we don't have... Uh, Moses isn't intending uh, to give an exhaustive physics textbook, you know, uh, exhaustively describing uh, the, the chemical and physical structure of all matter and uh, stuff like that. He's not writing a physics uh, textbook, but it's kind of boots on the ground. If you were there, you know, if uh, see all this, it has real implications that God created in six days. You know, light and darkness, evening, night and day, evening and morning days. Uh, and so it has real implications. This is a supernatural account. And so it can't just be reconciled uh, with um, what's not a neutral commitment, explaining the origin, structure, history, development of, of the entire universe and basically all of reality apart from God. And apart from his work, the, the two are uh, uh, contrary uh, to, to each other. And so here, uh, God said, God spoke, and here we have his first uh, commandment, his uh, first work of creation, where there was darkness, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. And so... Uh, here, now, uh, with uh, the creation of light, uh, at the, as the very first to, to bring it now, uh, the incomplete state, to its completion, you know, like we've already said, without light, uh, you don't have uh, night and day. You don't have evening and morning. You don't have the first day, so you can't have the second day. Uh, and a lot of times... Uh, a lot of times uh, the Hebrews would conceive of a day in terms of, of darkness to light. And so the night, and so you have a day, sun sets, day's over, new day, darkness to light. And now they can probably conceive of it uh, different ways in different contexts, just like words have different senses. We, we can kind of do that too, where we talk about... Um, Oh, the day's almost over. You know, as the sun's going down. And so we, we, do the, we do the same thing. Day ends, sun goes down. But then, you know, we'll also look at our clocks and say, oh, at 12 p.m., you know, no matter <laughs> when the sun sets or, or whatever. Uh, uh, and we, we set that, uh, that, that marker. Um, and so, in different, you have to look at the context, but a lot of times uh, you see the cycle and so uh, with the Sabbaths and such, and I think even uh, today, uh, as uh, the, uh, the sun sets and uh, then you have the evening, now it's the Sabbath. Uh, and so uh, they, they won't, they'll rest and not do, not do work. And then 
with the light. So it'd be kind of like our Friday going to Saturday. Saturday is the end of the week. And if you have like a digital calendar or something like that, you might want to set it so that Sunday is the first day of the week and uh, not the weekend. Sunday is first day of the week. It helps you helps you read your Bible a little better. <laughs> I've had to kind of like adjust to that. It's like, no, Sunday, not the weekend. Start the weekend. <laughs> I know. Um, but, and so with, uh, with Friday, you have the daytime. As the daytime comes and darkness comes, now it's Sabbath. And then through the period of light, Saturday, um, when, the, when the sun goes down, Sabbath is over. And so now they're free to uh, do work and such. It's a lot of Israelis today will even, it's good, kind of how, how they do things, you know, if they're going to post something online or, or something like that or, or do work, uh, they wait until the, uh, the, the evening, um, which brings them the, uh, the end of the Sabbath and uh, the, the first day. And so we see that kind of pattern established here where there was darkness, God then calls forth light. And so that's why, uh, part of why, Light is so important. I mean, the, the warmth that it gives and for life and, and light, I mean, for the creatures to see. Um, that's why it's so central and uh, comes at the start. And so here, oh, I was also going to just talk about God's commandment that uh, these things take place immediately, supernaturally, and powerfully uh, that he calls forth. I mean, at least on the day that, you know, he commands it. He brings these things forth on, on each day. On uh, Hebrews, uh, we've read chapter 11, verse 3, uh, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So that's a, kind of it uh, in, in a nutshell. But now to get, uh, to get to the question that Dave asked, how is it that you can have light and darkness, day and night, evening and morning, uh, before the, the luminaries, the, the sun, moon, and stars? Uh, and so <clears throat> here, probably part of it with the creation account, I mean, just practically for the day, uh, what, what we'll see as we read through the rest what darkness to light, uh, you have day and night, uh, night, day, evening, morning. And so it's just that succession, you know, that we see kind of, kind of boots on the ground again. If you, you see God creating and you, you could see this come about and into the darkness, he calls forth light. Uh, there, there'd be this, this period of, uh, of darkness, night, evening, and then a uh, period of a light day morning. And so whether the sun and the moon, you know, are in the sky and you have that, that light, um, you, you have a day. And so it is for the first three days. They, they were unique uh, in that sense uh, without all of the, the luminaries that God calls forth on day four. Uh, but I think we'll see that this is bound up with, we already mentioned Revelation, uh, but it, it's bound up with you see, God will often manifest his presence uh, with, with light. You know, it's, it's a theophany in which he reveals himself. And I so, am the light of the world. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, God manifests his glory sometimes with even visible light that his creatures can, uh, can see. 
Uh, and so, Revelation kind, kind of kind of a creative work uh, in itself, in which you know God physically isn't. It's it's a created thing. He's not he's not physically the light. He creates it. He he commands. He decrees. Uh, let there be light, and there was light. There wasn't before. God was before, um, but light in this sense, you know, visible light uh, wasn't uh, wasn't present. So it says in Revelation 21 23, the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and the Lamb is its lamp. Yeah. The yeah. nations will walk by the light. And then read into uh, looking uh, at the last chapter, just as you're going, going into it, you have a kind of a repeat of that. Everyone else can turn to uh, Isaiah 60. Actually, go to Isaiah 24 first. But uh, do you want to read that, Dave? Sure. Uh, which one, though? Uh, as you go into the last chapter, then you see it again. Let's see. Uh, talks about the tree. There will no uh, be no more night. There will not need the lamp, light of the lamp, or the light of the sun. For the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. And uh, so that was 20, that was in the 22, that was kind of 4, 5, and 6. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, the you see that the old heavens and the old earth pass away. And then you have those who come from the seas. Uh, and then you have death and Hades cast into the lake of fire. And now in the new creation, he sees the new heavens and new earth. The old heavens, old earth passed away. Yeah. New heavens, new earth. Now there are no more seas. Now there's no darkness. Uh, there's only uh, light. And now they, they have no need for the, the sun and the moon uh, anymore. Uh, and uh, there will be, never be night. Uh, they don't even need a lamp uh, anymore. So God manifests his glory, his presence in the creation, like the beginning of the creation account. And so I think some, you can look up, uh, you know, what... After looking at some of the commentaries, I know I've seen before some maybe hypothesize. Well, maybe this light was just kind of like maybe they thought of it as kind of the atmosphere. It's like even when the sun hides behind a cloud, you still have light or whatever. It's like no, that doesn't that doesn't cut it. It <laughs> does not cut it uh, here. Um, and so now you have these themes of darkness, like even when judgment came on the northern tribes in Zebulun and uh, Naphtali. Naphtali, um, that's where the Assyrians first came and talked about darkness and the gloom of darkness came upon them. But those who, who dwelt in uh, darkness on, upon them has light shone. So you see the light of God's salvation and you see the, the Davidic king and the promises and destruction of the Assyrians, but it doesn't name it by name because as you keep reading through, it's like this is also bigger than uh, Assyria. Uh, this is, uh, this is uni- a universal reign forever over all the earth uh, and a Davidic descendant who is perfectly righteous and reigns and lives uh, forever, who is a wonder of a counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And so you have these ideas of darkness and light already introduced a lot of times for salvation and metaphors, uh, but you see it carried through. I'll look at verse 21, so we're chapter 24, Isaiah. On that day, uh, Yahweh will punish the host of heaven in heaven and the kings of the earth on the earth. 
They will be gathered together as prisoners in a pit. They will be shut up in a prison, and after many days, they will be punished. Now, Isaiah here, in this judgment on the earth, draws on a lot of flood themes. And so you had a similar thing that happened with the flood uh, in in the judgment that came upon uh, the earth and uh, the sons of God and wicked humanity and their rebellion. But now there's going to be a future judgment. And this is what you see in Revelation with the, uh, the binding of of Satan, uh, the Satan, the adversary, uh, in, in a pit. And so uh, the Lord will punish the host of heaven uh, in heaven and the kings of the earth on the earth. You have similar ideas in Peter as he draws on the flood. Uh, the spirits in prison weren't just angelic. They weren't just human. They were both. That's why, people, that's why we struggle so much with that passage. Once you realize it's both, everything clicks. Um, uh, they will be gathered together as prisoners in a pit. They will be shut up in a prison, and after many days, they will be punished. Then the moon will be confounded and the sun ashamed, for Yahweh of hosts reigns on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem, and his glory will be before his elders. So there, the, the, uh, the, the moon confounded, the, the, uh, the moon will be confounded and the sun ashamed. For Yahweh of hosts reigns on Mount Zion in Jerusalem, and his glory will be before his elders. Uh, it will put uh, the moon and the sun to shame. And then go to Isaiah 30 quickly. Right, so look uh, into verse 24. I'll just go right before that. Uh, in that day, your livestock will graze in large pastures, and the oxen and the donkeys that work the ground will eat seasoned fodder, which has been winnowed with shovel and fork. And on every lofty mountain and every high hill, there will be brooks running with water. In the day of the great slaughter, when the towers fall. Moreover, the light of the moon will be as the light of the sun, and the light of the sun will be sevenfold, as the light of seven days. In the day when Yahweh binds up the brokenness of his people and heals the wounds inflicted by his blow. Behold, the name of Yahweh comes from afar. That's interesting. Talking in the background. A lot of times uh, today, but going back, they'll refer to God as uh, Hashem, the name. Uh, and so the, the name of Yahweh comes from afar. God associated with his, uh, with his name, um, characterizes him and bound up with his identity, you know, who, uh, who he is. But here, uh, verse 26, uh, moreover, the light of the moon will be as the light of the sun, and the light of the sun will be Sevenfold as the light of seven days in the day when Yahweh binds up the brokenness of his people and heals the wounds inflicted by his blow. Now, there could be certain uh, things where, you know, there, there could be a change, not, not so much darkness or whatever, but you see also it's often used just metaphorically bound up with uh, the salvation of his people. 
no longer dwelling in darkness, but the darkness of, of judgment, uh, the darkness of uh, exile, uh, suffering persecution at the hands of their, their enemies. And so uh, bound up with those things. But then as we go into Isaiah 60, and here we really see kind of the, the context for Revelation. We'll start at the beginning, but there's a bookend at the end of the chapter. And so you think of the context of creation. A lot of times you see this back and forth. You, you see these uh, metaphorical extensions of the idea of light and darkness, uh, which is used for many things throughout Scripture. I mean, darkness as moral ignorance or blindness or evil, uh, light as, as wisdom, as uh, illumination. Uh, and so, you know, ethical ideas bound up uh, with it and, uh, and the fear of Yahweh. But also with the, this context in Genesis where you didn't have the sun and the moon and yet God created light first. Um, with that context, uh, we also read things like this, Isaiah 60, verse 1. Um, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of Yahweh has risen upon you. So again, God's glory. Uh, for behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But Yahweh will rise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. So now people, uh, the, the people, sometimes God makes his people glorious uh, in, in the kingdom. The nation shall come to your light and kingdoms to, to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your son shall come from afar and your daughter shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Uh, your heart shall thrill and exult. Because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. A multitude of camels shall cover you. The young camels of Midian and Ephah. All those uh, from Sheba shall come. Or Sheba. Uh, they shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news. Of the praises of Yahweh. All the flocks of Kedar shall uh, be gathered to you. Uh, the rams of uh, Nebaioth uh, shall minister to you. Uh, they shall come up with acceptance on my altar, and I will beautify my beautiful house. See, see all this idea of coming, being returning from exile in the nations, coming to them to worship uh, the one true living uh, God. Uh, who are these that fly like a cloud and like doves uh, to their windows? For the coastland shall hope for me, uh, the ships of Tarshish first, uh, to bring uh, your children from afar, their silver and gold with them. For the name of Yahweh your God, and for the Holy One of Israel, because he has made you beautiful. Uh, foreigners shall build up your walls, and their kings shall minister to you. For in my wrath I struck you, but in my favor I have had mercy on you. Your gates shall be open continually, Day and night they shall not be shut, uh, that people may bring to you the wealth of the nations with their kings led in procession. 
uh, for the nation and kingdom that will not serve you shall utterly perish. Those nations shall be utterly laid waste. And so there, again, we're seeing what, uh, what you're just reading, Dave, in Revelation, verse 11. Your gates shall be open continually, day and night. They shall not be shut, uh, that people may bring to you uh, the wealth of the nations. So you maybe shut the gates for protection, you know, at night and protection uh, from, from your enemies, uh, but uh, their gates will be open uh, day uh, and night. Uh, and then go down. Let's see, we'll go down to verse, let's see, 18. Maybe I'll just pick up part of uh, 17. I will make your overseers peace and your taskmasters righteousness. A violence shall no more be heard in your land, devastation or destruction within your borders. Uh, you shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. Uh, the sun shall be no more, your light by day. Or, uh, the sun shall be no more, uh, your light by day. Uh, nor for brightness uh, shall the moon give you light. But Yahweh will be your everlasting light and your God will be your glory. Your sun uh, shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself. For uh, Yahweh will be your everlasting light, and your days of mourning shall be ended. Uh, your people shall all be righteous. Uh, they shall possess the land forever. Uh, the branch of my planting, the work of my hands, that I might be glorified. Uh, the least one shall become a clan, and the smallest one a mighty nation. I am Yahweh, in its time I will hasten it. You see those ideas of uh, branch and ideas, it's bound up with the remnant. And so you, you have to read together where you'll see the Davidic king, you'll see this Davidic king and Davidic heir and the Davidic line that God preserves even through Hezekiah in his faithfulness and Josiah and from generation to generation, but ultimately looking to this universal reign, but it's bound up with the remnant uh, throughout. And so a lot of the same uh, terms and ideas uh, this remnant theology will be carried through Isaiah. You see that in Revelation too, uh, where the, with the, the dragon, the serpent of old, uh, the, uh, the, the woman, Israel, was pregnant. He uses this imagery from Joseph's uh, dream uh, with even the, uh, the stars, uh, the, the stars and the, the sun and the moon, I think for, uh, was it 10 stars for uh, like his brothers or whatever, <laughs> uh, his uh, his uh, parents signed the moon and all these different ideas. But you see that in Revelation. And so the woman, Israel, she's pregnant and she's pregnant with this child who's born, uh, the, this king, this one who's to reign and live forever. Uh, but and he uh, tries to uh, swallow up the child. Uh, but then he's taken up to heaven, you know, in his ex exaltation and serpent goes after the rest of her children. So you see all these, uh, we'll see that a lot. We'll, we'll see that even with, uh, where it talks about your offspring and her offspring, uh, Genesis 3, 15, or uh, right about there, 14, 15, 16, um, that you have this remnant idea uh, bound up uh, with it and carried throughout all of scripture. Uh, but 
Yeah, so here, uh, the sun shall be no more. Your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give you light. But Yahweh will be your everlasting light, and your God will be your glory. Uh, your sun shall no more go down, nor your moon withdraw itself. For Yahweh will be your everlasting light, and your days of mourning shall be ended. So bound up with his, his salvation, and you see he makes his people glorious, but you also see these ideas going back to creation. And so uh, God does not need the sun, moon, and the stars to give light. In fact, uh, you'll use terms, part of it probably to make connections with the tabernacle, but part of it might also be avoiding, avoids uh, the terms like uh, Shemesh and uh, Yareah, uh, Yareah. Uh, for the, the sun and the moon, which, I mean, Shemesh uh, was used in different forms for pagan gods, like whether Sumerians or Akkadians, some of the different peoples around them. And so on day four, it's just the greater light and the lesser light to give light upon the earth. They're not gods. <laughs> They're just created uh, things that God makes uh, really to give light upon the earth for humanity. You know, humanity is the pinnacle of his creation, his uh, stewards over uh, the earth. Uh, and so... They just serve God's purpose. So let's go back to Genesis. And let me read, uh, I like how uh, John Kelvin uh, puts this. And his, his commentary should be pretty good. That's why they're still read today, because he actually dealt with the text. And so even when you disagree with, uh, disagree with the man, he really wrestled with the text. And sometimes if it even meant diverging from tradition or whatever, he, he, he dealt with the text. Uh, and he was, uh, I heard, I, I think he might have been one, one of the finest it Hebrew scholars of his day. I mean, he, he was a Latin, Hebrew, and Greek scholar uh, in his day. So uh, here's what uh, Kelvin uh, says, talking about the, you know, why do we have this light without the sun, moon, and stars? How can that be? So let there be light. Ah, there, there's a typo here. It, we proper that the light, uh, you know, it, it, w- it would be proper uh, that the light, uh, by means of which uh, the world was to be adorned with such excellent beauty. So I think it's saying it, it was proper uh, that the light, oh, there's a typo there, it was proper that the light, by means of which the world was to be adorned with such excellent beauty, should be first created. And this also was the commencement of the distinction among the, uh, the creatures or the uh, creation, created things. It did not, however, happen from inconsideration or by accident that uh, the light preceded the sun and the moon. Uh, to nothing are we more prone than to tie down the power of God to those instruments, the agency of which he employs. Uh, the sun and moon supply us with light. And according to our notions, we so include this power to give light in them that if they were taken away from the world, it would seem impossible for any light to remain. Because the power that we attribute, you know, to to them, like I'm inherently, this is their power. Uh, it would seem impossible for any light to remain. Therefore, uh, the Lord, by the very order of the creation, bears witness that he holds in his hand 
of the light which he is able to impart to us without the sun and moon. I think that really nails it. And in so many of the accounts, whether Egyptian, Sumerian, Akkadian, one of the first things to emerge into the world space from the primordial seas and with the rising of the primordial hill is, uh, is the sun. Uh, and it's an, it's an evolution, uh, a change, an uh, extension of uh, the, the god, like a, a tomb in the Egyptian literature, that emerges from, is birthed from the primordial seas and emerges as the sun into uh, the world space, into the sky and the heavens. And uh, his pinnacle is Ray, you know, at the very heart of the day, is kind of his highest evolved state and form. Uh, and even humans talks about are like tears from the sun, like it's rays, and so they have like a divine spark. They have that kind of like in Greek literature, and so the the sun is deity. You know, it, it, it's the spiritual uh, power and entity that that evolves uh, with the creation. But here, God commands, God exists eternally. Let there be light, and there was light. No sun, moon, and stars. <laughs> And so uh, that's rather striking. Uh, and it'd be, it'd be uh, quite striking for the uh, Israelites to read that in contrast to what uh, those around them uh, believed and uh, attributed uh, deity uh, to uh, the actual created things themselves. Uh, and so then uh, just looking uh, at the rest of this, and we'll have to pick up uh, more uh, next week. Uh, but we, we've almost covered everything here. Uh, so now we've seen God's command, you know, his first speech, a uh, commandment, uh, let there be light. And then you have a report, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And now the evaluations, typically their default is at the end of the day. Uh, and normally it's, uh, and God saw that it was good. But here, and God saw the light that it was good. And so, right away, God commands, let there be light, the report, and there was light. It came to pass. It happened elsewhere, and it was so. Whoever God commands, authoritatively, powerfully, comes to pass on the very day uh, he decrees it, uh, when uh, he, he decrees it. And God saw that the light was good. And so, like, right away, now, we get an evaluation, God's own evaluation of his work, of his creation, light into the darkness, and God saw that it was good. And when we go to the end, just look at the end of Genesis, well, the rest of the evaluations, you have seven of them, you have the seventh one at the very end, verse 31, right before the, the very end, on the last day, sixth day, and so you have, uh, God, God saw the light, that it was good, and, the, and then the rest, and God saw uh, that it was good, and God saw 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 that it was good. Now verse 31, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there is evening, and there is morning, the sixth day. So that's supposed to grab our attention, something different. Uh, something, something uh, different is here. You know, it doesn't fit our expectations of it was good. It was good. 
And God saw everything they made, and behold, it's very good. And so bracketing God's first work of creation and the end, everything, uh, looks at the, the goodness of God's, uh, God's creation and work here. And so then, uh, just to read through the rest of the day, and we'll uh, pick back up next week, finish it, uh, Lord willing. Uh, God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning. Uh, the first day. So that's the very first work of God's uh, creation. Uh, and it's also striking, I mean, to read at the end of Revelation, but as we've looked at in, in John, where you have the eternal word of the Son, uh, through whom all things came to be, and apart from whom nothing has come to be, has come to be, you know, if you didn't get the point the first time that, he, that everything came to be through him, and uh, there's nothing, you know, that has not uh, come to be, that, or nothing came to be that has come to be, you know, uh, apart from him. Uh, but then talks about in him uh, was, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. Of men. And so you see that in John's gospel, now the light, you know, as we talk about coming into the, the darkness, uh, the sinful, wicked, uh, rebellious world, the kingdom of darkness, but now uh, bringing uh, salvation. And you have that all throughout uh, John's gospel, uh, even, well, I mean, giving sight to the blind man uh, who was once blind and now he sees and uh, the Pharisees are blind. Uh, and you have even the idea where he announces that he's the light of the world. Uh, and you even have that with uh, the raising, before the raising of Lazarus. Uh, while he's in the world, he, you know, he's the light of the world and whoever walks in the light doesn't stumble. And so you, you have that uh, carried, uh, carried throughout characterizing, uh, characterizing him. Uh, you see God himself, you know, in whom is light and no shadow. Although sometimes it says God dwells in, in thick darkness. So um, just amazing to see how the creation and new creation uh, and the revealing of, of the Son uh, is death, burial, and resurrection. So let's just uh, close with prayer. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you for your word. Uh, thank you for all that you've revealed uh, yourself as the one true living creator, God. Uh, we're grateful uh, for you, Father, and uh, for your Son and your Spirit uh, that you've brought all these things about and uh, that you haven't left uh, the earth uh, in its uh, sinful, uh, unredeemed state. Uh, but you sent your son to live the perfect life, uh, to uh, suffer uh, on the cross, uh, to bear the sins of all who uh, turn uh, from their sin and uh, trust in him and him alone, not in their works, uh, nothing but uh, his finished work on the cross and uh, his death, burial, and resurrection. And uh, we're grateful that he's ascended to your right hand and that. Uh, he'll return on the, on the clouds of heaven and we look forward uh, to uh, the light of his coming and uh, to your everlasting kingdom uh, where there will be no darkness uh, but uh, you will uh, <coughs> your glory uh, and the glory uh, of your son, the Lamb. So we thank you for these things and pray in his name. Amen. <coughs>